Daniel Inhart. I'm reflecting here. Oh. The light coming in through the blinds. Yeah, I see that. If you're watching on our YouTube channel, you, you're probably enjoying that. But if you're not, then this is just an awkward audio it's, moment. It's just light reflecting off my blue shirt. So I've got white and I have blue, but I don't have the red. Oh, well, that, that kind of looks recent. like the stripes of the, you know. The American flag, mm -hmm. the, the holiday we just celebrated, which this won't go out until maybe three weeks after that. So it's a little out of date. Well, maybe we just then just scratch this whole segment. <laughs> <laughs> no, we'll roll with it. I got a hat on now. They won't know that we just recorded the last one. No, they won't. Um, you know what, Dan? I, I am so ready to, I went in and took some stuff into the office um, yesterday, mm -hmm. video equipment, and I just sat there and just soaked up the old space. It smells like an old building. It's weird. It's been sitting empty for, for three months. And it just got that musty smell. Mm -hmm. And I went over. Like a, and, like, a, like a shoe? No, like an old apartment. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, like a basement. Tech, yeah, like a basement. basement. Yeah, okay. yeah. And um, I went over to the kettle, our, our really expensive coffee um, water kettle. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm talking about? The, mm -hmm. I don't remember the name of it, but it's really expensive. We paid too much for it. Mm. It heats I, water. It heats water up, but it pours it perfectly. And I, um, I was like, oh, there's still water in here. And then I was like, oh, Ooh. that's probably, that could be gross. So I opened it up. It wasn't, it wasn't like moldy, but it started rusting. It's been sitting oh, there for no. three months and it was rusting. That's sad. So I, I scrubbed it out and emptied it out. But it's just like weird things that you go like, it's as if no time has passed mm -hmm. except for those little subtle indications, i.e. rust. I don't know if I can handle this anymore. Rust and mold and... And speaking of rust, let's bring in our guest. <laughs> I don't know. How <laughs> Good old Rusty Olson. <laughs> no, I, I'm really excited to talk to, to Nate Olson. He is our director of sales here at Crema. Nate has been with us. I always have to guess, but I actually think I know. Nate, you've been with us for five years, six years? It'll be no, November 2014. Yeah, so that's correct. Six, yes, you're the first person I've got it right. Um, Nate's been with us for a while, and you are our first sales person. <laughs> like, <laughs> we didn't even know what to, we didn't even know what to call it at the time. Hey, you're going to be our sales guy, <laughs> yeah. okay, guy? Um, Business development strategist. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Just in case you couldn't, you know, Just, decide on one. Yeah, that's right. Um, so I, I'm really excited to talk to about, uh, talk to you today, Nate, just generally about, you know, how we think about sales here, what, how we think about, um, what we do, how you position that. And you've seen that adapt a lot over the last, mm -hmm. um, you know, five, six years and have been a part of that adapting. Um, so it's been really, really fun to work with you. I want to just start off real quick with the kind of the origin story of, of your joining Crema. I remember we, we were working on one million cups at Kauffman Foundations together. You had launched this incredible program at Kauffman, which was super cool. And you invited me, i.e. roped me into volunteering like 150 hours of my time uh, to, to be a part of this incredible thing that you were doing um, at Kauffman. 
and then you left that organization and we're like, and, and it was like, Oh, we should do something. You should, I don't know what it looks like or what that might, you're like, I'm going to go to Africa. I was like, what? And uh, you're just like, what are you going to do with your life? <laughs> I'm going to you go, yeah, I'm going to go. I'm gonna, I think that was that the Kilimanjaro trip. Yeah. Yeah, it was. There's it's a, it's a crazy story to unravel, but um, that I was reflecting on this recently uh, in preparation for the podcast. But of one of the things that I thought was super interesting was uh, when, when One Million Cups really started to grow beyond 20 cities, Yeah, we were like, okay, all of our processes are breaking. You know, we were using Google and spreadsheets and stuff, email to track everything. And um, we said, we really should build some software around this. And at the time, oh, yeah. uh, the foundation was on, on Sitecore, which Sitecore. is Sitecore, which oh, is really great for uh, just big marketing websites with static information, but to actually build like an app on Sitecore was really difficult. Mm. And so uh, the first attempt at that failed. And um, one of the things when I was in Africa and I was traveling afterwards, uh, for, for close to four months, I was thinking, okay, I started something, I was trying to grow it. The technology piece was so complicated and we got it wrong, wasted a bunch of time and money and probably should have listened to George. Yeah. I mean, uh, obviously. <laughs> but, um, that was a really hard situation to navigate because I wasn't a tech savvy person per se like I hadn't been on the tech development side ever yeah yeah right and um, I thought that was probably the biggest gap in my education to that point was sure you can have a great idea you can have a great concept and a great opportunity and have traction but if you can't actually build a product to help you scale to build systems that will support your organization as it grows um, that's a pretty scary place to be and so I said, you know, Crema's building technology, that's a huge gap in my education. So that's, I think, why I started leaning in so heavily there is uh, how you build things and, and what you build really matters to your organization. So yeah. I have a lot of empathy for people who are trying to build things and do it wrong because I've done it before. <laughs> You've so been there, done that. I want to prevent, I want to prevent that from happening to other people. Mm -hmm. and Nowadays, I don't talk to very many people who don't have a bad technology story. And, you know, that, mm. makes, that makes the, the conversation, you know, usually starts off on an empathetic note where they say, well, we tried to build something. We tried to build it overseas. We, we just hired a guy that we knew. Sure. It's not working anymore. I mean, we've heard thousands of these stories. Every day. Uh, every day. Every day. And so... Um, so I get it. And, um, you know, eventually Crema rebuilt the 1 million cups platform the way it should have been, mm -hmm. uh, which was a, a great opportunity for us to kind of remedy that. But not that many people get a second chance as well. And so uh, that is another thing that I'm really passionate about is helping people do things the best way possible the first time. Hmm. I think that's a good word. Um, when we transitioned, I remember you and I first starting together. And I primarily, I had been doing most of the 
the top level sales. Um, Dan would, you know, put together the final contracts and that's just cause it was just him and I doing it. Right. Mm-hmm. And you came in and I remember the first six months was definitely like bringing you up to speed with what the heck crema actually does. Like, how does it work? And what do the words mean? And you know, all that stuff. And then, and then it was really, it was a weird transition um, because you weren't me and you did things differently and you talked to people differently and you had a different posture than I did. And it was like, Oh dear mother, what's he doing? Uh, I was just like so much anxiety. But what was incredible was you had this, you were, you weren't a sales guy. And what was amazing was that you just loved just getting into people's ideas and like, Oh, cool. Tell me more about that. And I think that has, that has just shaped who Crema is as a first touch of coming in to, to, to talk with us or work with us. Um, do you remember that awkward like transition into like, Oh, let's just, let's just, you know, take over what the way George did it, where he was just like, I'll say yes to anything. Cause I got to keep the business alive. And you being like, Ooh, let's just get deep into it. And like, you know, strategize, you know, that was, that was such a fun and wild transition, at least for me. Um, as you, yeah, know. It's, it's been an evolution because I had no sales experience when I yeah. came in. Yeah. <laughs> And um, so I had to develop my own technique, which is I am the least salesy sales guy you'll ever meet. I like I take a lot of pride in that. I take a lot of pride in that because I just shoot it straight with people. I'm very candid, and I think that's what most people find refreshing. Um, Agency sales people in general get a bad rap because they tend to. overcommit and under deliver. And that usually falls on the product team. Mm-hmm. And I also realized that, you know, when I, when I joined Crema, we were only eight or nine people. That was small. And yeah. so the projects we got into really mattered because the people that would actually have to deal with those projects and what we, what, what I had sold were sitting right next to me. In the they were right there. Room. They were right there. <laughs> So it's really important for me to, to figure out how to get us into good relationships. Yeah. And then also, you know, one of the big turning points was it takes just as much effort to sell, you know, at that time it was like a $50,000 deal as it did to sell a $10,000 deal. So mm-hmm. I said, well, I'm going to, I'm only one guy, so I should focus on the bigger opportunities. And that, that really helped us focus and I think provided some, some early growth. Mm-hmm. And of course, we just did that over and over and over again. Now Krim is you know, 40 people and grown quite a bit. So Nate, you've talked about how you like digging into ideas and you're the least salesy sales guy. Um, what we've termed that is and what, we, what I think the industry at large also sees that as is more of a consultative sales process, meaning like really diving into mm-hmm. build relationship and it's kind of that high touch customer intimacy type sales process where you're really trying to, um, you're not selling widgets. It's not like you're trying to sell things on volume. You're really trying to truly understand someone and then hopefully we can provide a solution that solves that problem. So what does that process look like? You know, what does, if, if someone were listening be like, okay, I'm in sales or I want to get in sales and I just heard something called consultative sales process. What does that look like at Crema? 
Yeah, uh, consultative sales is something I'm really passionate about. I've been trying to hone my craft in consultative sales for, for almost six years now. Um, there's a really simple model called PAS, and it's problems, alternatives, and solutions. Um, but to break that down even further, I haven't met a client who comes with one singular problem, like customer retention or use of data or uh, employee efficiency or you know dashboards. I mean, there's a million there's a million different things out there that a client might come in saying that they think that they need, but really that's a sol they're thinking a solution is technology. And we have to start under, uh, we start, have to uncover those, those problems. So mm -hmm. that's the P is what are the problems and what are the implications of those problems? And so that's, that's where it all starts is tell me the story, what's going on, mm -hmm. what's prompting this, why now? And, you know, people might say, well, we need a mobile app and we need it because our customers, um, aren't engaged with us. And so a mobile app will make it easier for them to engage with our solutions. And then we start pulling on that thread, well, why, is in, why does engagement matter? Mm -hmm. Oh, well, we get paid off of how engaged they are. And mm -hmm. it just like keeps going and going. And so a lot of our initial conversations are what are the problems and what are the implications of those problems? The A in the PAS model is uh, what are the alternatives that you have? And I am very upfront that there are many ways to build technology and there are pros and cons to every single way. And George, I think three years ago now, we did a whole- And it still stands, those that. five ways to build is still an accurate yeah. description. Yeah. But, for, but for most companies, they're either, hey, are we gonna hire and build our own internal team and become a technology company? Or are we gonna find a partner that, mm -hmm. that helps mm -hmm. with that? And there's pros and cons to uh, those things and the timing of those things. So we, we talk about what alternatives do you have? And you know, one of the biggest alternatives is to do nothing, which is what a lot of companies decide to do once they've quoted technology is they just decide, you know, we're just gonna kick the can down the road. And that, that is a, a viable you know, alternative. Right. And then solutions, so we talk about you know, well, how would we actually approach this? Um, working in agile product teams, how do we validate uh, through design that we're building the right solution and give our, our team and our stakeholders and your stakeholders the confidence to move forward with the solution? And uh, we talk through that. But a lot of times, I mean, I've talked to, I talked to hundreds of companies in a year. Uh, we're not a great fit for all of those companies. Mm -hmm. uh, most of my job is actually educating on here's where you're at. Here's what the problems are. And one of the best things is, is like, once you talk to so many companies, most companies are dealing with very similar challenges. Mm -hmm. So and many so, trends. Yeah. There's so many trends. And that's I, what I love about working in an agency is we get to see, you know, what's happening in logistics is related to what's happening in healthcare and related in these other industries. And it makes me feel really good just to educate and say, this is a really common problem. Mm -hmm. I've talked to a lot of people recently facing this problem. You're not alone. Cause I think a lot of executives feel like this is so overwhelming. I don't even know where to begin. 
Um, I feel like we're the only ones, mm. but the reality is, is that, you know, these are really typical things. And a lot of companies have built something that lasted a decade and now it's breaking. And it's just like, Hey, you just have technical debt and it's time to, to uh, pay that down either by overhauling the current system or rethinking how things mm -hmm. So that's a, that's a bigger thing on consultative sales, but PAS is the typical, you know, model that I follow. Gotcha. I well, like and that. I think all of that leads to you building trust with these people, right? So <clears throat> we talk a lot about the fact that we're in the business of people. We just happen to design and build apps. And most of what you end up selling is a relationship um, that we're really saying, Hey, we're going to be your trusted partner. We're going to be this team that you're going to know, you're going to see, you're going to collaborate with. And, um, that comes through a process for sure, but it's really about working with people that you will build a relationship with. And you get to be the front lines of that, the beginning of that courtship, if you will, of, um, Hey, let me give you a taste just through these early initial calls and through our contract writing process and our, our you know, requirements gathering process, let me give you a taste of how great it's going to be here. Mm -hmm. And then there is a transition to the team that actually is going to execute on the work, but you do so much work up front. And I think we all continue to try to do this to fill up that trust bucket, right? Um, maybe talk a little bit about that. What is that like for you? Or what, do you, what are some things that you do that you really try to invest into, into building trust with the, those clients early on? Yeah, um, that's a good question because it really depends. It depends on, you know, whether I'm talking to a, an enterprise or, you know, sure, small yeah. or medium-sized business um, that's, you know, core business isn't technology, but they know they need it and they need a partner. And uh, it's different when talking to entrepreneurs because um, everybody cares about something different. People sure. value, um, everybody values a relationship, but you know, if you're talking to a startup, for example, they really care about speed and cost. And I want the, I want to get the best thing possible, but at the cheapest price. And, and I want it to go very quickly. And, you know, that's a different conversation than, working with the enterprise has a lot on the line. They need to get something right because, you know, potentially tens of millions of people could interact with this piece of technology. And so they, they need to pick the right partners. They need to um, really foster the right things so the best technology gets built. So they're, they're kind of looking for different things, but mostly uh, I just listen. The first call is, is really, 80% listening and 20% talking. Um, and I ask really good questions. And that's just been refined over time. You know, the questions that I ask, or if I can tell what company you are, and I, I do quite a bit of research up front before we talk, um, the way to be, you know, a consultant or in consultative sales is to ask really great questions. Right. And, and this is something we talk a lot about is, can we understand where they're at and what they're asking for faster than any other company? I think being exposed to so many different industries, different companies, uh, different people, if you're on these calls, you know, very frequently, all of a sudden you go, oh, I know exactly what you're asking for. You're asking for this. Um, and then confirming, you know, is that, is that right? 
And a lot of people don't want to tell you. So when you start digging into like, what are the problems and the implications of those problems, a lot of companies don't want to tell you that information. Mm -hmm. But if you already know, you can say, I I imagine that's a problem with your ability to scale right now. Yeah, it is. And, you know, then we start talking about that. And so if you know- How does that lead into that kind of ROI conversation? Well, yeah, I think um, most people don't know how to value a technology investment. Yeah, uh, yeah, totally. Like, I just spend money and I, I, I build the piece of software and then customers pay me a bunch of money and, and you know. Profit. We're, we're profitable and we're, we have a billion dollar exit. Uh, you know, unfortunately, like culturally, what, what most people know about technology is probably what they see on Shark Tank or, mm-hmm. um, you know, just big movies like, um, oh, when the Facebook movie came out. Yeah, sure. Started, you know, telling that story or they hear like, oh, Jeff Bezos, you know, during quarantines made an additional $50 billion, you know, like they just seem so attainable or unattainable or so far out there that it's, it's hard to actually figure out like, what does it actually mean to, to build this technology? So whether it's an enterprise or a small business that we're talking to, um, I like to just level set that, mm-hmm. you know, we're trying to break even here on this investment in, in three years. Let's use that as a target. So you're, you're not going to make your money back immediately because you can't ship half a product. That's what is, you know, if you have a software product and you ship it with one feature, I mean, good luck. There are companies that have done that in the early internet days and, and made it work, but more and more, um, there has to be the right features and we have to continually build and adapt the product over time. Yeah. So that investment level just means a pretty high burn rate over a pretty long period of time. And so to break even in a three to five year period is, is really outstanding on a lot of products. Even if it's like an internal efficiency tool, we've, we've built quite a few of these um, where companies are going, you know, we just can't scale without adding people. So right. let's try and leverage technology. The investments are, are big and um, because they're really complex and they're trying to solve a lot of different business problems. And uh, the investment level is, you know, over a one to three year period. But if, if you are committed to making the changes that your organization needs to make, especially in a business efficiency uh, situation, you could save tens of millions of dollars. Yeah, easily. Um, easily. And so um, I think a lot of people, you know, particularly in, in the world we're living in right now are really short-sighted in their tech investments. And we need to pull that timeline horizon out to think about three to five years, because, you know, if you could just put money in and 12 months later have a bunch of money shooting out, I mean, everybody would do it. And I say, you know, I tell people this all the time, if building technology companies was cheap and, easy to do yeah everybody would do it including us yeah including us at crema we would we would build our own stuff more but it's actually really difficult to do and um yeah and it takes time and 
uh, it's about people and mm-hmm. people are hard to predict. And so you have to respond to that. There's just so many factors that go into making that quote unquote successful. And that, that those early conversations, I think you do an incredible job just setting, just educating really. Um, yeah. Yeah. And even if somebody's savvy, it's, it's a good reminder of, oh yeah, that's right. We're doing, we're starting over again or yeah, I've got this existing piece of technology that's not performing. I need to rethink where we're at right now. Um, and I think you, your honesty goes a long way, even if it means, hey, maybe you shouldn't work with us right now, but you should address these other three things and then come back and then let's work together after you've addressed those three things or whatever that might be, that honesty goes a long way up front. Yeah, yeah. something that uh, I've been thinking a lot about lately is, Okay, if a company makes an investment in, let's say, uh, an internal software tool, it's going to make their team run so much better. Yeah, it's going to help. It's going to help, you know, decrease the need of hiring, allow their customers to engage online, allow their teams to work fully online. Um, that comes like you can get a great return, but that comes with the caveat of making another investment in reskilling and retooling the current team and making some decisions about um, basically moving people either into different departments because you can't build the technology and incur the expense for that and sustain the other thing you're doing doing as well. And so that's been a a big learning as well because it it has to be both and in those situations. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I think right now that's a lot of the work that premises is companies are are being forced um, to work with their clients in a completely uh, tech environment, maybe for the first time, as well as their teams working in that way. And so there are huge opportunities to build really great technology. So moving off of Excel and, you know, the whole Microsoft suite and um, really opening up the data that the company already has and building systems where these things can talk to each other and just, you know, humans don't need to move the papers back and forth or communicate those changes. We can do that you know, at the data level. And so when we start looking at those opportunities, there's huge jumps, but it has to come with a commitment to um, reskill and retool the current workforce. Yeah. And there's only so far you can push that as well, which is another interesting topic right now is, there's a lot of comfort in using tools like, you know, Microsoft. Yeah, it's familiar. Or something like that. Um, so uh, quick comment. Um, let's not talk about Microsoft Excel that way. <laughs> um, let's make sure. Dan's, Dan's pride and joy. That I we love give Excel. credit. Let's make sure we give credit where credit's due. Okay, that's one. But, but that, that has been pushed to the limits and, and companies are often going, we, we're literally maxing out these, these sheets and we, we, we have to do something different or mm-hmm. it's not efficient mm-hmm. at scale. Yeah. yeah, that's actually, I think an exact quote, George, like we've broken Excel. I'm like, yeah. you're like the fifth company I've talked to that's actually done that, which is really hard to do. I've yeah. never heard of them. I just can't, <laughs> I can't imagine that. Um, so you hinted at this a little bit, but just the way things are shaping up in the world we live in today, new opportunities, new way of thinking. What are some other things that your position or sales in general has looked differently since, you know, beginning of March since this year due to COVID? How have you had to pivot? How have you had to adjust the way you talk to clients or 
even just the practical nature of doing conversation like this, yeah. you know, via Zoom or whatnot. Not having coffees anymore. Yeah. What, what does that look like? Um, well, yeah, we talked a lot about trust. It's hard to build trust with people you've never met before. Mm-hmm. It's just even being near someone. Um, and, you know, so much of, of communication is nonverbal. So right. just, just being able to, to be with people is, diff, is a missing element. But I think that's universal. And I think we're becoming more open to working with people we've, we've never actually been in the, the same room with. Yeah. So I definitely think there's a, there's, we're, we're learning and everyone's adapting mm-hmm. on the flip side. You know, one of the things I think about is like, well, I'm not running into people as organically as I used to, mm-hmm. but almost everybody is more available because they're all sitting at home in front of their computers for most of the day. So there is this flip side where there's actually maybe more opportunity to talk to more people. Um, but how to do that, how to approach that has been a little bit awkward. Mm. Um, I think the biggest thing overall is that companies and people love predictability and comfort and safety. And those are hard things to get right now. Right. And um, especially, you know, COVID's changing day by day. And so companies are having a hard time making longer term decisions, which, you know, software build is, is, you know, a six plus month typically, you know, type of commitment and, or it could be a forever commitment, you know, depending on, on how you view it. And so, um, for companies where technology isn't their core, I think they're a little bit more, um, uh, I don't know what the uh, cautious, cautious, apprehensive of getting in a long-term, um, contract or partnership with a company actually build it. That being said though, when we look at industries, you know, a lot of the industries where Crema works in, we're working with companies that were relevant before COVID, relevant during COVID or even more, and will be relevant after. Yeah. And so I think it, it has delayed some decision-making, but it, it won't eliminate it altogether because uh, we will get through this. We will, you know, there will be another side and the companies, you know, some of these companies have been around a hundred years. So they'll be around, they'll be around after this as well. When you think so. about the companies that went through the great depression mm-hmm. or went through world war two, where, you know, um, that was significantly worse than even what we're experiencing right now. Hard to believe, but, mm-hmm. um, and survive that. I think this is there. There is another side. You're absolutely right. Yeah. The other curveball that I've been experiencing a lot, and I think a lot of executives are are on. Um, I call them fishing expeditions. They're they're talking to a lot of companies. They haven't made a decision whether or not they mm. they want to build technology. Uh, they're exploring it. They're very interested in it. They will try and extract as much helpful information as possible but they may be on the fence or that decision may be two years down the road. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's something to my, you know, fellow sales folks out there that that's something to look out for because yeah. there are a lot of companies that are, are prospecting right now. They're not ready to move, but they're gathering information. And um, it's, I can tell you, it's really hard to decipher between who is sure. ready to move and, and who isn't. And, and I've had to get a lot more bold than just asking 
do you have an internal initiative and budget around this? Right. And that that is that's hard to ask for on on the first call. Usually, I I, I don't ask those things, or it might come up organically. Um, but it's important. But what you're to trying to get, that. yeah, what you're trying to get that that though is, how serious are you? I mean, right. like, yeah. is this yeah. is this really something you want to do? And mm-hmm. and that's just out of out of transparency, out of uh, clear communication. Um, right. We want to serve you well, and, and this will help us to know how we can serve you, even in these early conversations. Um, and I think that's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, the sales cycles are, are already long, I think, yeah. in, in consultative sales. So they are getting pushed longer. But again, yeah. I think rather than being a pushy uh, salesperson, like, just give me a yes or no. Yeah. <laughs> Please. Right. If I go back and right. talk to my manager right now, will you take this deal? It, 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 me yeah. anything. Uh, no, it's um, in all seriousness, I want, I care about the people that we're talking to. And yeah. um, I'm really trying to say, what can we do to be supportive in this time rather than being pushy? Because, mm-hmm. you know, if someone has an internal initiative, like one of our clients has an initiative that they're, they've been pushing for a year, two, three years, and they finally get the go ahead. And then all of a sudden they're derailed. It's equally frustrating. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. And it's sometimes it's, it's hard to, uh, it's hard to see that from our perspective because we, we just want a decision and we, we need to plan around it. But on the flip side, I know it can be equally frustrating for them. And, and I've, during this time, especially the last four months, I've been uh, just really sensitive to that because mm. it, it, it lowers their, their job satisfaction and their plans and yeah. what their team was going to work on and how they were going to do things. So. And, and right now you're planting seeds. Right. Uh, and right. like you said, because it's a long sales process, it's, it's okay. We're, we're, we're giving value. We're helping people where we can and, you know, good things come around. Um, and that tends to either come back with them saying, man, I love that a conversation we had back in you know January, or, mm-hmm. um, I really appreciated what you did for me. Then uh, I want to refer you to someone or whatever that is. Um, again, this is about people being kind and generous to each other. And then yeah, it, it comes it around. Come around. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No question. Yep. I'm curious real quick as we wrap up here, you know, we've been talking about this framework with the postures, disciplines, and structures. And I would, I want to see if we can do kind of a rapid fire of what are, I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit. What are, I'm going to hit each of those, those three things, um, the postures, disciplines, and structures, and maybe I'll do it in reverse. What are some structures, some, some guidelines or some constraints that you have to work within, within your craft, within your role? that shape the direction that you go in sales? What's, so we'll start with structures. What are, what are some structures that, that give you a guideline, point you in a certain direction um, in, in your role at Crema in sales? Yeah, I think maybe the biggest one is just uh, factors for fit in terms of working with our team. Yeah. There are a lot of great companies that could all write a check and we could build software for them, but doing it in the way that, that we work um, mm-hmm. it's a, a special company that's ready to, uh, really work with a full product team. And so I look for, for factors for fit as definitely a constraint and guiding, guiding light and getting Crema in, into, um, good relationships. Um, I got to throw it out to, to Tuck. He's our director of, um, product management and, um, 
I spent a lot of time with him just planning ahead. What, what types of engagements do we need? When do we need them? And so that is uh, a structure and the way that we built that is, is could be a whole episode, but. Oh, that air table. That's something. I, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a work of art, but um, being able to look ahead and plan ahead so that, you know, our team has the best experience possible as well. Um, avoiding, you know, long, you know, bench time and um, getting projects ramped up at the right times. Yeah. Um, go, let's go to the next one. Disciplines. Right. What are some disciplines, some, some rhythms, some, uh, some activities that you try to do to keep yourself, um, you know, focused and, and doing your best work? Yeah. Uh, one is I have a, I have a mentor and I meet with him once a month and that is Very cool. really, really good uh, because he's got, you know, 15 more years experience than I do in sales and he can really challenge my thinking. So uh, having a mentor once a month, mandatory coffee meeting uh, has been really life-giving. Um, daily, looking for opportunities, reading, reading a lot, knowing what's in the industry, knowing who's doing what. Like, I'm just constantly curious and doing research because it helps me in all these conversations by pulling in other examples. So that's kind of a, a daily activity. Um, one, I think Dan and George, you know that I, I am kind of bashful in terms of like networking. I like meeting people, but I don't, I don't like doing it in a way that is. Handing out like business that. cards. It's forced. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's forced. And so, uh, getting in a regular routine now of, um, reaching out to people is kind of one of those things I'm, I'm just starting to do and I'm pushing people to, um, they, they want to do, yeah, they want to do um, in-person coffee meetings. And I'm like, no, let's just meet on Zoom. And, you know, we're, we're navigating that. <laughs> it's 2020 yeah. and the pandemic's not gone. Yeah. yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. And then finally, um, last one is mindsets or, or postures. What are some mindsets or postures that you try to keep top of mind, um, attitudes that you try to have that help to you to do your best work? Um, I treat every opportunity the same whether they, you know, don't have a website and, you know, they're probably not a good fit for us or they're some amazing enterprise that we would love to have walk in. I treat everybody the same in terms of trying to be helpful, educational. And one of the big things this year, uh, it thematically is just being creative about how might we work together. Yeah. Uh, it used to be uh, easier, you know, in 2019, it was like not a good fit or, you know, you know, I think we'll pass on this right now. It, it has become more difficult because it is harder to see around the corner what the future has mm -hmm. in, uh, in hold for, for everyone. But I, I think that's maybe the, the biggest thing for me is just being creative and open to everyone that we meet. You know, 30 minutes call to connect and do right by somebody is not a lot to ask. And as long as I can do that over and over and over again, it, it, it continues to yield positive results. Okay. So you will, you're willing to talk to everybody. You're always going to treat everybody the same that comes in, but I'm going to ask one final question and then we'll wrap up. What does an ideal client for Crema look like? What, when you, when you go, man, that's a special sweet spot where we go, mm, that's, that's, that's a, a bond that it was just made feels good. It feels real good. I'm really excited. Give me the, the kind of elevator pitch real quick of what it, 
what an ideal client at, at Crema or a partner with Crema looks like? Yeah, I think it, it I hate to say it depends. Uh, there's, there's kind of two core groups that, that we love working with. These are, you know, product owners, product leaders at enterprises. Um, you know, you can check out our work page for lots of different enterprises. It doesn't necessarily matter the industry, but um, they're product leaders at enterprises that are looking to really increase the velocity on a current product or rethink a, uh, a current existing product and, and rebuild that experience. Uh, we love working with their internal team. So usually those people have internal yeah. resources and we find this really great relationship between working with internal teams and our team coming in as a third party expert and being able to really own, you know, the front end user experience piece of that. So uh, that is a great fit. Then, you know, the other group that we work a lot with are just small and medium sized businesses where their core may not be technology. Mm. Uh, take a healthcare company, they're in the healthcare industry, you know, solving a niche problem, but they can't scale because the current systems that they have yeah. uh, just, just won't allow them to. And so they want to rethink, well, how could technology really improve our scalability, our competitive mm -hmm. advantage, and really help our business grow? And we worked with a lot of those companies as their partner on a piece of technology that helps them do that. So um, the third group is entrepreneurs and we do a plethora of different things to help entrepreneurs validate their early concepts. And um, yeah, we, they're kind of a mixed bag because they're all over the place, but I'll yeah, just leave it so at that. We, I love meeting founders and, and hearing the impetus for their startup and what their goals are. Nate, you have been um, a blessing, honestly, to, to Crema. The experience of working with you has been awesome. I'm excited for what the future holds for us because of the work that you're doing. So thank you mm -hmm. for, for all of that. Um, we wouldn't be where we were, where we are without you. So yeah. thank you. It's been great. Um, I want to wrap it up. This has been an awesome conversation. If you fit into those profiles and you want to chat with us, shoot us a message. Hello at Crema.us or Nate at Crema.us. I'm sure you're okay with me putting your email address out there. I hope that was it's right. fine. Find you can me. find it. You can find it. Uh, I think your, your email address is all over the website. Um, or check out crema.us. If you haven't yet, we are a digital product studio for that. We didn't say that before. Um, we are helping individuals and organizations thrive through design, technology, and culture. And we love, love doing it. So uh, we'd love to have a conversation with you. Coffee when we can. I, maybe just a Zoom for now, but maybe one day a coffee. Um, and as always, if you haven't already subscribe, subscribe to our podcast. It's, um, we think it's special. We like being in your, your ears and uh, maybe on your eyes if you're watching us on YouTube. So thanks tell, for doing that. Tell everyone on the block. Oh block. yeah. Walk around the block, go down to your community pool if it's open mm -hmm. and, um, stay socially and, distant and call. Right. Call Make little paper, a, paper yeah. airplanes that says, yeah. why listen to option five podcast and just start firing them over the fence into mm -hmm. the pool. Mm -hmm. uh, kids will pick them up and then be like, kid, 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 give it to your, give it to your parents. But and be then, careful. You could be the creep. So just be careful. But make sure you tell somebody about this. Uh, and if you can give us a nice review on iTunes, that'd be real nice. Thank you. All right, guys. Until next time. Thanks, Nate. Thanks for joining us. Thanks guys. Bye. Cheers. Right, bye. Yeah. 
My name is Rob Lefebvre, and I'm a lead architect at Crema. I work with our development team to press forward in our craft and bring awesome products to life for our clients. I enjoy working at Crema because I get to constantly grow and learn alongside an amazing team of folks dedicated to improving our craft and exploring new ways of working. Option 5 is Podcasts by Crema, a digital product agency that creates web and mobile apps for disruptive companies and industry leaders. We believe that design, technology, and culture can help create a world where individuals and companies thrive. Learn more at crema.us.